I, I, I'm not going to read it in its entirety right now, but hopefully we'll go through all of chapter 8 today. But I just want to kind of focus on those first couple of verses. And I believe it's so important to our life and, and living for God that we realize and we understand this. And I want to uh, uh, preach to you today a little bit about some freedom that we have. The Bible says in Romans 8 and chapter, or chapter 8 verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now if you are reading the King James Version or probably some other versions, you'll notice that there is a, uh, a, a, a more to the verses in your word. Uh, it probably says something along the lines of, uh, there is therefore now no more condemnation than which you are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. How many of you have a King James? You see that? Okay. Uh, I want to just tell you because it's, it's important. The, uh, most of the manuscripts don't include that last part in the beginning. It's not to say that that's wrong or that the King James is wrong because honestly all you got to do is, is, is walk down uh, a little bit more and you'll find that, that no matter what version you're in, it says we need to walk after the, not after the flesh but after the spirit. But I want to tell you for just a moment that I believe and I have, I have studied, I have researched, I have prayed and I believe that we need to be careful that we don't always look at that second part and so the reason I like the English Standard Version is because it doesn't give that disclaimer yet. It waits a minute. I want to tell you today that there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. If you walked in this building today and you received salvation instantly, there is therefore now no more condemnation. That loss of guilt does not come after you've walked with God for a certain amount of time. It doesn't come after you've kind of crossed some barriers. But that's how powerful salvation is. No more condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. And uh, I hope that you'll keep your Bible open and we're going to uh, go through this chapter in Jesus' name. Why don't you bow your head and ask the Lord's word to speak to you. Jesus, we are so thankful, grateful, indebted to the word of God that you have given us. And I pray right now that you would help us and guide us. Lord, let your word be alive. Let it be a lamp to our feet as we instill it in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You can be seated. Last Sunday morning, we preached on freedom from fear. And uh, I believe that the word of the Lord spoke loudly to us. And this month, I want to kind of focus on some things that we are, we, we have, the freedom we have uh, in Christ Jesus. From what I understand, of course, I wasn't born. Some of you may have been. January 6, 1941, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt uh, addressed the Congress on the state of the war in Europe. I don't know that a lot of what he said is remembered, but there is a, a part at the end of his address, the close of his address, where he said, and I'm quoting, that he looks forward to a world founded upon four essential human freedoms. And then he named them the freedom of speech, the freedom of worship, the freedom from want, and the freedom from fear. 
And I, I, th- those words are still remembered. They're, they ring true, even though I would say that they have not been realized across the, this world, but it still is a pretty good thing to have that we have those four freedoms, not as Americans, but as humans. We ought to have those four freedoms, freedom, from, freedom of speech, freedom of worship, freedom from want, and freedom from fear. And, uh, of course, last week in, in, in we preached about freedom from fear, and I, I wanted to preach a little bit about freedom from condemnation. And, of course, that leads me to Romans chapter 8, verse 1. The problem is, as the Word of God is prone to do in my life, I couldn't just stop there. And I began to, to look at the entirety of Romans chapter 8. One writer said that Romans chapter 8 is the Christian's declaration of independence. Or the Christian's declaration of of freedom, and if Franklin Delano Roosevelt had four human essential freedoms, then Paul declares in Romans chapter 8 there are four essential freedoms in the spirit that we have because we have been united with Jesus Christ. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 8, or chapter 3, verse 17 that says, Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. What is that liberty? What exactly do you have? Well, the first freedom you get is the freedom from judgment. Freedom from no more condemnation. I want you to think about that because this is very important. There is a difference between consequences and condemnation. All right, And when we sin, we may never be free of the consequence. Let me, let me just kind of put it like this. Let's say that... that, that um, you know, you're, you're, you're driving uh, while intoxicated. You're, you're drunk. And, and during that, while you're driving intoxicated, uh, which I believe is a sin, you're, you're gonna, you're, you're, you, you spin off the road and you hit a tree, and in the process of extricating you out of that uh, uh, tangled mess, they have to cut your leg off. That's a consequence of the sin. When you come to God and He forgives you, there's no more condemnation, but not necessarily does your leg grow back. That's why I'm very careful, and I have said it before, and every time I say it, my brain, I believe it's the Lord, talks to me. Not all of the scars of sin does Calvary erase. And, and we have to be very careful about it. So there are consequences that we may have to live with because of our sin. If you robbed a bank... And, and then you came to church and, and genuinely repented and God filled you with the Holy Ghost, you may still go to jail. But in God's eyes, there's therefore now no more condemnation. And to be honest, I would much prefer to handle the consequence rather than the condemnation. And we live in a world uh, that judges. We live in a world that, that, that it just blows my mind how much judgment and judgmentalness is going on. And uh, I, I was talking to somebody the other day, and, and it, it was just racism, again, just threw itself out in the conversation. Just blew my mind. I was like, 2018, and that's how you're talking? Just judgment is always going to be. But with God, he says, there is therefore now no more condemnation. And I know, again, and I, I made the statement that that. Uh, the King James, it adds those words, uh, who walk after, not after the flesh, but after the spirit. But if you read the manuscripts, the original manuscripts, that most of them do not use that phrase then. You've got to go down a couple verses um, 
and you'll find that. But the, pro, the, the, the thing is this. In Christ, there's no more condemnation and there's no more conditions you have to meet. You don't have to, you know, it's, it's not like, um, you know, I, I don't know if any of you have ever had any, any of these transactions where they'll give you your money back or, or they'll give you a refund if you keep the product for longer than 30 days. And then all of a sudden, you know, there's things that you'll get back. That's not how God is. God's not, he's not one of those that says, well, if, you'll, if you can stay saved for 30 days, then I'll remove the guilt. It's instantaneous freedom from guilt. It doesn't say that there's no mistakes. It doesn't make, say that there's no failures. It doesn't say that there are no sins because the truth is this. We're going to fail. We're going to make mistakes. And, and unfortunately, most likely, we're going to sin. And so uh, even though I'm trying to live my life in which, uh, in, in such a way that I don't sin or I don't fail or I don't make mistakes, even if those happen, I can come into the presence of the Lord and I don't have to suffer condemnation. It's the law that condemns. Uh, if you were to read, and I don't have time to do it, and I've preached it several times here over the last couple of years, uh, Romans chapter 7 is all about the condemnation of the law. When I want to do good, I don't. When I want to live for God, my flesh rises up and I don't live for God. And the law tells me I'm a sinner. And the law tells me I've messed up. And the law tells me that, that everything is wrong. The law condemns. And there are three statements that Paul makes in this. And uh, you can read. We're, we're in the first four verses of Romans chapter 8. Let's read them together if you will. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For what God has done, or for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the, according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So let me tell you three things that you get, freedom that you get when you are in Christ Jesus. Number one, the law cannot claim you. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, it's simple. You've been made free from the law of sin and death. So the law no longer has any jurisdiction on you. Uh, I'm, I'm sure in any congregation of any size, there's going to be people who have experienced the fun of having a warrant out for your arrest. Probably never here. None of us have ever done that. But, uh, you know, some people have had a warrant out for their arrest. That warrant, it could be as simple as an unpaid parking ticket or it could be a lot worse. But that, that warrant says the law has jurisdiction over you. You broke the law. You must pay the consequence. You're condemned. Uh, you, you, that means if there's a warrant out for your arrest, uh, they're trying to get you. They're trying to find you. And sin has done that for you and I. The law says this, thou shalt not lie. And when we lie, the Bible says, all liars shall have their place in the lake of fire. That's the consequence. That's the, the punishment. And so the law says you've sinned. The law says you've come short of the glory of God. And the law says the wages of sin is death. And the law claims jurisdiction. But then Jesus Christ comes in. 
and, and through salvation and through the blood of Jesus Christ, he says, you know what? I will pay the price, thus the law cannot claim you. You've been free. No longer does it have any jurisdiction. The, the warrant's been ripped up. The warrant's been, been uh, uh, destroyed. It's been recorded in the, the court. You don't have to have that anymore, so the law can't claim you. The second thing the law can't do is the law cannot condemn you. See, the law, thou shalt not lie. It can't save. It can't cause you not to lie. I've used this analogy, I don't know how many times in my ministry, but if there's a speed limit sign out there on the highway, that's the law. Even though most of you, including myself, don't ever follow that. But that's the law. And if you go one mile over that speed limit, the law says you can get a ticket. Now, that very rarely happens. But, but that's how black and white that law is. And the law only tells you you're speeding. When you flash by that speed limit sign that says 50 miles an hour, and then you look down at your speedometer and you're going 80 miles an hour, the law says you've sinned. Does that make sense? But that law doesn't ever save you. The law doesn't reach out. That, that sign doesn't reach out and slow your car. It, not, none of it works. It just simply tells you, You've sinned, and then when you speed past that sign, the law condemns you and says you have sinned. But when Jesus Christ came, Jesus Christ came to do what the law could not, and that is Jesus Christ came to save. And the, because he died as that spotless sacrifice, that lamb for sinners slain, because he came, God manifest in the flesh, he came in sinful flesh so that he could die on the cross for you and I. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world. There is a law in America called double jeopardy. You cannot be tried twice for the same crime. And so the law cannot condemn you because Jesus has already paid your price. It's as if you had a speeding ticket and somebody went and paid the fine for you. And then you went in and you said, I need to pay this fine. And they look you on the record and they say, well, we show that, that, that your fine's been paid. So there's nothing more we can do. That's what it means. The law can't condemn you. The law can't claim you. And the third thing is the law cannot control you. I don't live my life because, uh, according to the law, meaning I'm trying to check it off. In fact, there are too many people, the legalistics, if you will, that try to live for God in their own strength. They try to check off and, 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 and have a, a, a lot of rules and a lot of regulations. And if I do this, and if I do this, and if I do this, then I'll be, I, I, God will love me. That's the legalistic side. But instead, it's not the law that controls me. But rather, it's the power of God's Spirit. It's because Christ lives in me that I have freedom. It's because Christ lives in me that I have life and liberty. That's what Romans chapter 8, 2 says. And if you will, Romans chapter 8, 4 says, I even have the right to the pursuit of happiness. When you are spirit-led, when you yield to the Lord as we've talked about today, when you're allowing that sanctifying work of Jesus Christ to work at your life, the Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13 says, it is God that worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. You get that freedom, that 
freedom from judgment, no more condemnation. The law can't claim you, the law can't condemn you, and the law can't control you. The second thing that you get is the freedom from defeat. Paul, I love the way Paul writes. He, he, he tends to, to break down his, uh, I use the word argument, I don't mean that like we're arguing, but his, his, his treaty, he breaks it down very much. I love the way the Bible exposition commentary works. It's one of my go-to study helps. and uh, it, it, it wrote this of, uh, of Romans chapter 8, verse 5 through 17. We get the freedom from defeat. Romans chapter 8, 12 says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. There's three levels that we have. First is you don't have God. That's the sinner. The second is you have the Spirit. That's salvation. And the third is the Spirit has us. That's sanctification. That's what I was trying to say a little bit earlier. It's one thing to be in Christ, but I want Christ in me. So Paul begins to, to, to contrast these two uh, uh, things, the saved and the unsaved. He talks about there's those who walk in the flesh and there's those who walk in the spirit. It's the unsaved person that walks in the flesh and their flesh and their, uh, you, you know, the, their own carnal desires and nature leads them astray and they, they run here and there and they, they can't ever be defeated or they can't ever find victory because they're always being defeated. If you read Romans chapter 7 in the King James, I have a big Thompson Chain study Bible. It's one of the first Bibles I ever bought. And uh, in it, I had, I had went in and circled all the pronouns. In Romans chapter 7, the word I is mentioned 33 times. This is in the King James Version. The word me is mentioned 12 times. The word my, my is mentioned four times. And myself is mentioned one time. And any mention of the Holy Spirit is mentioned zero. And if you read Romans chapter 7 and you see the fight that Paul is in with his flesh and, and, and that nature, the reason is you're doing it on your own. But when you turn the page in Romans chapter 8, the word Spirit or Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost is mentioned 19 times and I, me, my, myself is only mentioned one time. The thing is, if you want to walk after the flesh, you can, but you'll never get anywhere in the presence of God. But if you walk in the Spirit, you'll have a freedom from defeat. Uh, he, he, he also, in verse 6, he contrasts death in life the unsaved person may be alive physically but spiritually they're dead but it's the one that has been uh, uh, that, that has been filled with the Holy Ghost that we have life and we have it that more abundantly or it's war with God or peace with God when you're walking in the flesh you war with God you're fighting against God you're pushing back against God but when you walk in the spirit there is a peace that we have with God Isaiah 48:22 says there is no peace saith the Lord unto the wicked and then verse 8 tells us that you can please self or you can please God is it my will or thy will when you begin to walk in this way, first off, uh, we're talking about freedom from defeat, freedom from obligation, if you will. The first level is the unsaved person. I don't want to be there. 
And I don't think anyone here is there. Then you have that second. You've got the Spirit of God. Verse 9 begins to talk that you're not in the flesh, but you're in the Spirit. If so, that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, I preach it. You hear it almost every time I, I, I have a sermon. But you are not saved unless the Spirit of God dwells in you. And the only way that Spirit of God dwells in you is if it happened like it did on the day of Pentecost or in Acts chapter 8 or in Acts chapter 10 or in Acts chapter 19. And that is you have been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, the evidence of speaking with other tongues, and that evidence of conversion is also that the presence of God is inside of you and you bear fruit of the Spirit. Your body becomes the very temple of the Lord Jesus Christ. He lives there. And so we have that spirit. D.L. Moody described his conversion, the, the evangelist. He said, I, I woke up, I was in a new world. The next morning the sun shone brighter, the birds sang sweeter, the old elm trees waved their branches for joy, and all nature was at peace. Poetical, but pretty good. I've watched people in, in my own life, I've watched others, they, they come to church or they have that moment where they repent and baptize and fill with the Holy Ghost and their world is turned upside down. The joy of the Lord is their strength. I want the Spirit of God. But I'm going to tell you today that there's a third level. It's not enough for you just to be saved. It's not enough for you just to have received His Spirit. But I want you to allow God's Spirit to have you. It's not enough just to check it off and say, well, I, I got the Holy Ghost. But is He at work in you? When you do that, then you have that abundant, victorious life. Look at verse 12, if you will. If then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. But if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you didn't receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we might be glorified with him. That spirit becomes a spirit of adoption. Now, there's a verse in the Bible that says you're of your father the devil that we walked after the course of this world and then the Lord comes in and through his spirit he allows us to be his son adoption it means being placed as an adult son we come into God's family by a new birth experience Sister Buford mentioned Arizona camp that's where we were last week Monday through uh, through Friday we had a great time it was beautiful and when they asked me to come and preach their camp, they, they said, well, you know, it's going to be the first week of July in Arizona. And I laughed at him. I said, you crazy. He said, no, I could be in the mountains. It'd only be about 80 degrees. So Sister Buvern and I, for the last week, we had about 80 degree weather at night. It got 65. And uh, it was just absolutely gorgeous, way up high, about 8,000 feet at this camp. And there was some incredible things that took place. There was about 120, 130 kids there. Uh, we had 17 that received the gift of the Holy Ghost and so many more were touched. Now, Sister Buford had been talking to this boy, this little 12-year-old boy, 
Uh, so I didn't know what all was said at the beginning of camp, but at the last day of camp, I'm eating breakfast, and he came and he sat by me. He was a hyper kid. But the story began to unfold. This boy had been abused by his dad, and uh, his, his dad actually went to jail for it. His mom was into drugs like you can't even imagine. He had spent a lot of years in foster care in and out when mom couldn't handle him, and then he'd go back to mom. And But in the recent time, uh, he started going to church. I don't know if a bus picked him up or what, but he, he'd go to church. He'd go to Sunday school. He loved it. But dad was getting out of jail. This has all been happening over the last couple of weeks. Dad is getting out of jail. And his mom had to make a decision. Because of the abuse that the dad had put on this little boy, uh, the, 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 there was a restraining order and of course you know you can't be connected and so the mom made the decision I cannot wrap my hand around it the mom made a decision that I would rather my, my husband come back who abused my child and make my child leave than keep my child and say you know what you're going to stay away and so a week before Arizona kids camp this kid's Sunday school teacher got a call from the, the, the health Department of Family Services in Arizona said there's a mom that wants to sign over her parental rights and give her child to you how do you handle that <laughs> the Sunday school teacher already has kids of her own she, she hung up she called her husband and she said you know that little boy that comes to Sunday school class they, 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 they basically are going to give us carte blanche, sign over all parental rights, and we can adopt this child. And the husband said, well, there ain't a chance in, in life that I'm going to let him not be. And so he came to camp a week after he joined this Pentecostal family. He sat there in that, and, and he was one of those just happy-go-lucky kids. You know, there weren't any tears. But he said, this is my sister, little girl, brand new, little girl. He said, this is my mom and dad. He said, I've been adopted. This is what my life is. That's exactly what the Spirit of God is. I know that we belong to Satan, but Satan didn't even want you. Satan spits you up and throws you out. He, he, he's one of those lovers that just wants you and use you and takes you, and at the end, you're washed up and used up and washed out, and he says, I don't even want to have anything to do with you, but God in his infinite love and mercy, he said, let me do something that's never happened before. Satan, you don't want him? That's awesome, because I do, and so he came down to earth he bled on the cross the blood was spilled and now you and I have the privilege of being filled with his spirit whereby we cry Abba Father this 12 year old boy didn't even want to refer to his mom or his dad he said this is my new mom this is my new dad he, he this little boy 12 year old he, he asks every time he needs a glass of water may I please have some water and finally, this, this lady, she said, Honey, at my house, you don't have to ask me every time you want water. Here's a pantry. You want some food? You don't have to beg for food anymore. You can open it up. Can I tell you today that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And the moment that you have received the gift of the Holy Ghost, the moment that you lift your hands and let the power of God in, you say, I am born into this family. He adopted me. And you're not born as a little bitty baby. 
instantly you're born, if you will, as an adult. Now I know, and I, I know maybe I'm mixing metaphors a little bit because I do believe that there is a spiritual process and a walk with God. But here's what I mean when I say you're born as an adult into the presence of God. It's because when you are born as a baby, you can't sign any checks. But as an adult, you can draw on that spiritual wealth. And so the child of God by faith is an heir of God and joint heir with Christ. And if he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, he says they're yours as well. And it's why I can begin to write checks. Whatsoever you ask in word or deed, you ask in Jesus' name. Whatever you ask, he'll give it. You're an heir of Christ and you receive God's wealth by faith. Faith. I'm not talking about money wealth. If you think that's what I'm talking about, you're in the wrong church. I'm not talking about you're going to get some thousand dollars in your bank account. But when I am a joint heir with Christ, I can walk in newness of life. I can walk in faith. I can walk with understanding that he is here. What, what are you trying to say, Pastor? It's simple. If you've got the Holy Ghost, then you are free from defeat. It's real simple. The, 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 the most of this world lives with a defeatist attitude because this is as good as life is ever going to get. But with Christ, if I know, listen, he said he's not going to suffer the, uh, uh, his, his children to be abused and hurt. Will you go through some bad times? Oh, I'm sure you will. Will you have some pain? Yeah, but he's not going to let you be defeated because greater is he that is in you than he that's in this world. When you've got Jesus Christ, you have freedom from condemnation and you have freedom from defeat. It's real simple. God's going to win. That old song, I've heard it all my life. I was, I was born and raised in this apostolic faith. I went to an old country church in the first part of my life. And they, I loved it. When they had choir, this is how they did choir back then. They said, if you want to sing in the choir tonight, come on up. And they'd grab the songbook in front of them, and they'd walk up here, and the song leader would say, all right, turn to page 102, and they would sing. There was no practice. It's just that's what choir was. They'd have testimony services. I can see Sister Murder, Myrtle. I can see Sister Bonnie. I can see them, and they would say, I read the back of the book, and we win. And that is so true today. Listen to me, somebody, in the name of Jesus, if you've got his spirit, you don't have to feel defeated anymore. Hallelujah. The third thing that begins to happen is that you have freedom from discouragement. Now, I, I, I'm going to be honest. When I began to read this and study it, I, I kind of had to check myself because discouragement sometimes becomes a very natural thing. And so again, I don't mean to say that you're not going to feel the pain or you're not going to feel the emotions. But Paul begins to talk about suffering and pain. Perhaps the best way that we could understand it is to look through uh, these these chapter eight verse eighteen through thirty, you'll find that there are three groanings. In the first one, creation groans. I'm preaching this today in hopes that you'll go home and and, and read the entirety of Romans chapter eight. I, I I just don't have time to to go through it in this morning's sermon and try to read everything. And so I'm, I'm hoping you'll 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 go back and see it. But there's a a creation groans. 
beginning, Genesis chapter 1, he speaks and light, darkness, water, earth, sky, stars, all of that. Creation is beautiful. Each, each day of creation that he, he, he finishes, he steps back and he says, it is, it's good. I like this. But today, it's a groaning creation. There's suffering in this world. There's death in this world. There's pain in this world. Uh, and I'll be honest, it's not creation's fault. It's, it's human's fault. It's humanity's fault. I, I firmly believe, and as you really begin to study creation, I firmly believe that I can't explain it all, but roses didn't have thorns and mosquitoes didn't bite people and uh, uh, it, it seems to indicate that there was no death. There, the carnivores, you know, the lions weren't eating the, the, the gazelles and it just somehow they all kind of uh, existed in perfect harmony and then as soon as man enters in creation, man sins and now creation's all flung out of muck and it's mad at us and it's groaning because it knows there's going to be a day that the Lord comes back and restores creation so that the lion can lay down by the lamb and so there is a, a, a creation that groans and, and, and let's look at some words that Paul uses to describe what, what creation is going through uh, uh, Romans 8.18 suffering, Romans 8.20 vanity, uh, verse 21 bondage, verse 21 decay 22 pain and it's not necessarily just a groaning as uh, you know, I'm, 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 I'm just give up. I don't know what to do. But instead, it's compared to a woman in travail. And here's the thing. Uh, you know, they, they said that if, if, if us guys had to experience the, the pain of childbirth, there'd be no more children ever born in the world, and that's probably true. Okay, I'm, I'm not going to lie. But it, it astounds me how a woman can, can know what's going to happen. It's going to be pain. It's going to hurt. There's going to be travail. There's going to be labor. But yet they're okay with it because they know what's coming. And creation groans because it's looking forward to the day that creation will be delivered and the groaning creation will become a glorious creation. And so that groaning is a type of hope. Not only does creation groan, but us believers groan. The reason we groan is because we've tasted the first fruits of that spirit. When you think about it, the Lord is here and God is here. You, you, remember, you remember back in the Old Testament, um, Moses, they were going to go over to Canaan and he sent out 12 spies. The 12 spies came back. Now, of course, 10 of them had a really negative report and it messed up. Uh, Israel's history for 40 years but they brought back a cluster of grapes so big it took two people to carry them and they came back and they said man it's a land that flows with milk and honey and and the, the 10 spies let's throw them out for a minute because they're crazy but it was Joshua and Caleb that says we've tasted what's over there 
And for the next 40 years, Joshua and Caleb groaned and waited until the day that they could go back to where they experienced. And when God filled me with the Holy Ghost, and each day that I come to church, I'm getting just a tiny taste of what heaven's going to be like, just a tiny taste of what glory's going to be, and I can't wait to get there. And so even though I'm not necessarily wanting to die today, but I groan because I cannot wait until the day that I walk on those streets of glory. I want to see the Lord I used to not understand this as a kid I didn't understand how Mama and Papa and all these old timers Would keep saying I can't wait for heaven Because in my mind If you go to heaven that meant you had to die And I wasn't quite ready to die yet I hadn't driven a car Hadn't got married You know and, and that's how it is But as I get older and hopefully a little more mature I understand now what they were saying I've tasted and I've seen and I've had a little bit of heaven on earth. And so I can't wait until I see the Lord. I can't wait till I have my new body. I can't wait until I live with him and serve him forever. And when Christ returns, that little inheritance that I've been able to get now becomes a full inheritance. Romans 8, 24 says, For we are saved by that hope. The best is yet to come. Why? How can I be free from discouragement? Simple. This present suffering that I'm in is just but a little bit compared to the glory that waits over yonder. I, I know if, if see, if, if we only have a fleshly view, a temporal view, the battle you're in right now is overwhelming. That's why suicide is rampant right now. In fact, I read, a, I read another statement uh, yesterday, I believe it was yesterday, that for the first time in history, opioid overdose deaths are more than gun violence deaths. Why? Because somebody only has a temporal view. If I can just shoot myself up. If I can just kind of forget what I'm going through And they have no thought of tomorrow So if I die with the needle in my arm Who cares They can narcon me back to life It's not really a big deal But can I tell you I know I've walked through the valley of the shadow of death And maybe I'm going to be here for 82 more or, or for 80 years total But I know this No matter what happens on earth My 82 or 92 years that I hope to live Is just a drop in the bucket To an eternity with my God and so I ain't going to let any discouragement get me I'm not going to let any depression get me I'm not going to let anything come Because I know what's happening tomorrow We're saved by that hope Creation groans It can't wait to be redeemed I'm groaning I can't wait for that uh, inheritance That new birth or already That new Jerusalem that's coming down But the third one is That Holy Spirit groans Mark chapter 7 and verse 34 records a time that Jesus, as he began to look out on uh, humanity and he, he saw their sin, the Bible says he groaned within himself. Today, he groans. He's touched by the feelings of our infirmities. That high priest we have, Jesus Christ, he, he feels our weakness. He feels our suffering. And he, the, the spirit groans. The Bible says, in fact, look at, at, at verse 25 with me. 
But if we hope for what we do not see, we'll wait with it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we, don't know, for we do not know what to pray for as we halt. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep with words and he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God and we know that for those who love God that for those who love God all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose he groans I I realize you got to be very careful you could get into some weird doctrine if you try to you know, say, well, you don't have to do anything. You know, the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us. It's not what it really is. It's not intercession of salvation. But instead, that spirit begins to groan. That spirit begins to move. That spirit begins to, to try to allow us to be led into the will of God. In the midst of my struggle, in the midst of my problem, I might not know what the will of God is. But the Spirit leads me. The Spirit intercedes so that in spite of the suffering, I might learn to live in the will of God. If you will, He shares our burden. So that that pain that you're feeling right now, that stress, that depression, that hurt, the Lord is there. I know that suffering and trials come and we become weak and we want to we want to give up and we feel faint but you need to know that God he's got you that burden you're carrying would be twice as heavy but you need to understand that it's on his shoulders as well God's at work in this world he has a perfect plan in fact there's two purposes in that plan it's our good and his glory it's it doesn't say that um, it doesn't say that that it, let me get it back again that we know that for those who love God all things work together for the good that doesn't mean that all things are good it just means God allows everything to work for his good the struggle the trial I'm in he's not going to leave you hanging so you don't have to be discouraged the devil wants you to be discouraged the devil wants to give you that, that depression that fear but God says just hold on just stay in the ship don't jump ship because I got something for you and I have a hope in Jesus Christ the third or the fourth one when you begin to read Romans chapter 8 and verse 31 through 39. And, and I, I, it's a little bit of what we talked about last week, but there's freedom from fear. And this fear is a little bit different. It's, it's freedom because we don't have to be separated from the Lord. There's no more condemnation because we share the righteousness of God. The law can't condemn us. I'm not obligated to the law because the Spirit enables me to overcome. Romans 8.35 asks this question. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Now, again, I, I, I believe we need to understand that freedom cannot come without Jesus Christ and His salvation. So to the bold sinner walking on the street, this does not apply. Because freedom only comes, liberty is only in spirit 
But what shall separate us from the love of Christ? Our past? I've known people that have lost a job because of their past. Not something they did while they were at that job. They got a job and finally the background check came through and there was something in their past and they lost their job because of their past. Does your past separate you from the love of God? No. God looks back. He doesn't care what your background check says. It's there. What about our present? Is there anything I'm currently doing that would cause God to throw me out like a lump of clay or a piece of trash? He might not like what I'm doing, but it doesn't separate me from His love. What about something I might do tomorrow? God knows what I'm going to do tomorrow. Is He going to throw me away? No. We're secure. Let me tell you a few things that Paul said. How, why, why there's no separation. You don't have to fear that. Number one, God is for us. And if God is for us, then who can be against us? You need to wake up in the morning, get out of bed, and say, God's on my side. God's for me. Now, that doesn't mean that, that, that He's not going to chasing you when you're bad doesn't mean that he's not going to try to correct you when you do wrong but I tell you right now I got three beautiful children Zane, Zoe and Zeke and I'm for Zane, Zoe and Zeke and everything I do is for them if I correct them it's because I'm for them if I give them present it's because I'm for them and they ought to live, and I hope they learn this. I hope they understand it. I think they do. I think they live their entire life saying, you know what? My daddy's on my side. That even if I go to school and I get the worst note in the world, I might get in trouble when I get back, but dad don't throw me out of the house. Dad's for me. I'm here to tell you today that God is for you. Not only is he for you, but he died for you. This is verse 32. He died for you. He gave you his very best, his life. What more could you possibly want? Jesus, when he was trying to convince people to not worry and not fear, he said that God cares for the birds, he cares for the sheep, even cares for the lilies in the field. If he does all that, then I promise you he will care for you. Third thing is, he justified you. That meant he declared you righteous. He wiped away the record of your sin. One of the ways that I've always been taught the meaning of the word justification means it's just as if I'd never sinned. It's a very simplistic understanding, but it, it works. That he justified us, that at Calvary and at salvation, he, he purged the record. And instantly it was just as if I'd never sinned. He intercedes for us, verse 34. He hears us. He's our advocate. And he loves us, verse 35 through 39. What shall we say to these things, verse 31? If God is for us, 
then who can be against us? I was reading and studying in that phrase. Again, it's English, and so it was translated from most likely Greek, I believe is what Romans was, was, was written in. But uh, when you begin to study it out, it might better be translated not by if God be for us, then who can be against us? It possibly is better translated if God be for us, then who is against us? Like, who? For he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And who shall bring any charge against God's elect? There's only one that can bring a charge against us, and that is Jesus himself. It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, and more than that, who was raised, and who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, and who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then you have this incredible phrase. And I'm going to invite you to stand today. So the question has been posed. What will separate us from the love of God? Because there's a lot of people. When, when, I, when, I was, when I was young and immature and didn't know, I, I, I lived in fear that God was going to throw me away. I've told you stories of me thinking I missed the rapture and, you know, just flipping out and freaking out. You know, you have that. And again, I'm not saying that God is just this pansy, limp-wristed God up there that really doesn't care about us. You don't have to live in that fear. So the question is asked, what shall separate us from the love of God? And then they begin to kind of start walking down. Shall tribulation? No. What about distress? No. How about persecution? Not a chance. Uh, What about famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. And it's written, for your sake we're killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded, Paul said, or the English Standard Version says, I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm here to tell somebody quit living in fear that something you've done has separated you from God's love. It's just not a chance. It can't be. In fact, you've got the power to conquer it. In fact, it said you're more than conquerors or super conquerors, if you will, through Christ Jesus. Jesus gives you victory and